Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Life was happening, and I was engaged in the arduous process of moving. But do you realize where we are? Do you realize what we have upon us? We are four days, four days, Bip, from the start of the college football season. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I it seems like we, you know, I remember back to doing the, the pre-national championship podcast where I was correct in saying that Clemson was going to beat Bama, <laughs> and you were a little bit off on that. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if you recall that or not. but. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And then we're like, shoot, now we've got this long off season. And on one hand, it's exciting because, you know, we get into the prospect of, okay, there's going to be moving and shaking. You know, we get to look at uh, comings and goings. We get to look at schedules. We get to break down and and dissect every conference. But I got to tell you, even as a college football fan, that's been an exhausting task. And I am just ready to kick off on Saturday, Bip. I don't know about you, brother. I couldn't agree with you more, Chappie. I think it's uh, been... A long process, a fun process, but I am absolutely ready to stop talking and start watching. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, everybody can sound like a semi-genius in the offseason, but we're all going to be put to shame or made to be glorified in the next four months when when all these picks and prognostications come to fruition and, and you know, toe meets leather and pads start crunching and we actually see a product on the field. It's great. For and sure. For you know, something that can get us away from the headache that was the transfer portal. But I'm going to digress at that (laughs) point. So welcome to episodes 51 and 52 coming up next on a bowl full of chips. We're going to pack it together with the Pac-12. We finish up our Power 5 previews by looking at this conference out west. Um, And this, the Pac-12 conference, they are going to be represented on the week zero kickoff this Saturday when the Arizona Wildcats from the Pac-12 South travel off the continent and out to Honolulu to take on the Hawaii Warriors from the Mountain West Conference. And to do this unpacking of the conference from the Pac Coast is yours truly, Chappie, joined by my co-host, Bip Roberts, the man from whom your nickname was derived and relevant to this podcast because he spent a bulk of his career playing in San Diego. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Bip, the Pac-12 doesn't get a lot of respect nationally, and they're trying to build their brand, so that's why we've saved them for last, to ensure that we go out with a bang. Where is your head on the Pac-12 and anything college football today, buddy? Well, Chappie, the Pac-12 was probably my toughest division to pick as I seem to be double-checking, triple-checking my picks in relation to where a team ended up. Some teams seem like they couldn't possibly uh, be that bad. Some seem like they couldn't possibly be that good. Uh, So this was an agonizing and arduous process for me in regards to the fact that I just couldn't figure out where I wanted teams to go, but I, I finally hammered it out, and I, I think we're in for a couple surprises here. But how about you, Chappie? How goes you? Well, 
I think you said it. I, I couldn't say it better when you said there are some teams who probably shouldn't be looked at as high and some teams who shouldn't be looked at as low. And I myself have some teams from both ends where I'm like, hmm, they're not going to be as good as people think. And others where I say they're not going to be as bad as people think. So mm-hmm. this is actually going to be one of the more exciting podcasts that we've done because of the fact that I think that you could easily flip flop um, a couple of teams from where, say, Phil Steele or Athlon or Lindy's or ESPN has them preseason and say, no, I beg to differ. So we'll yep. get into that today. So, again, you're listening to A Bowl Full of Chips, one of the college football one of college football's fastest growing national podcasts. And we have you guys to thank for that. We have grown our listeners by over 200% since the start of June. Think about that. We are mid-August and a 200% growth rate is not too bad, my friend. We do what we do and we take it seriously. And that is giving you deep college football insight and analysis because at BFC, we bring football closer. If you don't already, please give Bip and I a follow on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC BIP. So share our handle with others, like our posts, reply with agreements or aggravations, retweet the goodness, and even DM us with questions or commentary or ideas for what we can do for you, the college football fan. We love what we do, but we also want to work for you. You can also visit our show's Twitter page on at Bowlful of Chips, where we post our website for a growing number of resources and bits of information which will give you lists, rankings, and all the information plus more that we did not talk about on our Power 5 previews the past month or so. Find links to our previous podcasts and contact us, if you wish, at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. So no more talk, no more banter about everything or anything except for Pac-12 2019, BIP. So we're going to start with the South, and BIP and I on the first of these two podcasts tonight are going to look at the the Pac-12 South. We'll give you the teams in order of where we think they'll lie, what their records will be, who we think they win or lose against, and maybe some of the things to keep an eye out for as 2019 unfolds. So, Bip, no further ado, buddy. Let's get into your top team from the Pac-12 South. From the South, Chappie, I see this as being almost as unfair as Clemson in their division, and I have the Utah Utes running away with this one, and it's not even close. Mm. The Utes are going to beg to differ, but I'm going to let you talk first. (laughs) Okay. Well, the Utes were a middle of the pack offense last year, and they look to improve as they have a lot returning. So Tyler Huntley went down with injury last year and Jason Shelley filled in pretty successfully and and had his moments last year. Huntley's the stronger, uh, excuse me, the stronger passer and has been named the starter for this year. But if injury strikes again, Shelly and Texas transfer Cameron Rising, who might be granted immediate eligibility this year, give the Utes a great uh, couple of options to fill in should the injury bug strike Huntley once again. Huntley will uh, have his five uh, top pass catchers uh, available to him uh, returning this year, including Britton Covey, who had 60 catches, and also deep threat Jalen Dixon, who averaged 18.4 yards per catch last year. They also have talented sophomore Brian Thompson, who should have an increased role to add uh, to the other five returning uh, receivers from last year. And that doesn't even take into account um, the the threat that they'll have at running back as Zach Moss returns. Now, he he missed five games due to injury last year, but he still had over 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, and averaged 6.1 yards per carry. He'll be one of the better running backs in the entire country this year. The offensive line loses two first-team uh, All-Pac-12 linemen and three starters overall, but they do return three guys that started at least seven games last year. 
and they get a top Juco transfer from England that could uh, insert himself into the starting lineup if he can become academically eligible and uh, find his way uh, to doing so. So defensively, though, is where Utah is going to hang their hat on this year, as they have in years past as well. It's hard for any team to build upon a top 20 defense in total and scoring defense, especially when they lose their top four tacklers, including two guys like Cody Barton and Chase Hansen. So Utah is going to have their work cut out for them. But that said, I think Utah should once again have one of the better uh, defenses in the country. Uh, as I mentioned, they they lose their two stud linebackers. Been senior Francis Bernard uh, finished with 38 tackles last year. So we'll see how those two guys can slot in and fill the production that was lost uh, from last year. In the secondary, the Utes lose both of their safeties from last year, but they do return three starters. Jalen Johnson had four picks last year and might be the most talented of the bunch. Javelin uh, Gidry and Julian Blackman combined last year for 19 passes broken up, and Blackman's actually going to be making the switch from corner to safety this year to help them out with that uh, the couple guys that they lost from last year. So now that Clemson has lost their oh, 17 defensive linemen to the NFL from last year, Utah might actually have the best defensive line in the entire country. Their three returning starters could all be first-team All-Pac-12 selections by the end of the season, and Bradley and I and uh, Lecky Fotu could also be All-Americans when all said and done. Their lone non-returning starter on the defensive line, uh, Mika Tafau, uh, impressed last year. He had seven and a half tackles for loss and limited time as a freshman. So the Utes have the benefit of playing in the South, uh, in my opinion, the softer South division, but would even challenge in the North with how good that I think that they're going to be this year. I have them finishing 10 and two overall, seven and two in the conference. I have them losing at USC in the fourth game of the year and also at Washington um, right before their bye week. But I do have them running, uh, winning the rest of their games within the Pac-12, and they have the fortune of not having to have the cross um, or not not having to play Oregon this year. Um, so ten and two overall, seven and two in the conference, Chappy. Yeah, I I have Utah second in the Pac-12 South oh. with, the exact, with the exact same record, the exact same losses. So I'm going to tell you who I have above them because it's uh, kind of tipped my hand, uh, letting you know who you know where the schedule lies. But you know, talking about Utah real quick again as my second team in the South, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you a step further and say that they do have the best defensive line in the country, and to me, it's not exactly close. I mean. You talk about Max Tupai and Bradley and I on the on the ends, Fotu and Penasini inside. They legitimately bip go about eight or nine deep at defensive line, and I am not even kidding. I am not exaggerating. That is not hyperbole. Uh, their defense, the last 22 years, they've given up 25 points per game in a season uh, only twice. Okay, so in 22 years, and again, Kyle Whittingham is a defensive-minded guy, so you know that that's going to be the cornerstone of this team. Uh, in 20 of 22 years, they have given up less than 25 points per game in a season. That's pretty damn good. And in 10 of those 22 seasons, they've given up 20, 20 points or less per game. So uh, if, if you can play defense like that, you're setting your, your team up for some, some success. And that's certainly what Whittingham has done. Um, you know, going into last year's bowl game against the Northwestern Wildcats, they came <laughs> in and Whittingham came in actually with the best bowl record and the best winning percentage of any coach in the college game. And that included guys like Urban Meyer, Nick Saban. Um, I think he only had one loss up until they played the Wildcats last year. So um, <laughs> kudos to the boys in purple and white. 
But uh, yeah, they have the number two red zone defense in the country. And when you can stop teams from scoring inside the 20, you're going to have success. They were number five in rush defense, 16th in scoring defense, 19th in defensive yards per play, which means they didn't give up a lot of big bombs or big home runs up the middle. Like I talked about, best D-line in the country, very deep. Good defensive backs, you touched on that. They're very good in coverage, especially at corner and in man defense, and that's really where they win the game is they will man you up and they'll say, we're going to put our best guy against your best guy, and we're not afraid of you. We're going to run with you. We're going to cause pressure on your quarterback. So when you can play great man defense and you can send these four rushers in the front four and allow two great linebackers like they had last year to play in space, uh, again, recipe for success. Um, Offensively, they returned 90% of their production, which for most teams you would say that's awesome, but their offense was pretty pedestrian last year. And again, I think part of that was the injury bug when Huntley went down and then when Zach Moss went down. They are going to have a pretty deep stable of running backs. It's headlined by Moss, but Devontae Henry Cole returns from injury. Devin Brunfield, TJ Green had some, uh, you know, poking their head out moments last year. And they're, they're going to have a better offensive line than people may give them credit for. So the rush offense would be pretty good. I like the addition of new slash old offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig, uh, Ludwig who was here uh, earlier in the decade. Uh, then he went to Wisconsin. He recently came from Vanderbilt. and We saw what he did with that offense last year, especially with um, Keyshawn Vaughn. So look for Zach Moss to have a breakout year, possibly all Pac-12. I wouldn't be surprised to see him flirt with the 2,000-yard mark. Um, he's that good, and I think that Ludwig does a great job with his run offense. We'll have to see how their quarterbacks, Tyler Huntley and Jason Shelley, perform with their wide receivers. It is good that they return their top five pass catchers, and like you said, if Britton Covey stays healthy, he is a fun, fun player to watch. Kind of reminds me of an old Tim Dwight, Vinny Sutherland-type mold, um, uh, similar to a Julian Edelman, although I think that that comparison is way played out, and I apologize for the, the cliche <laughs> analogy there. But yeah, I'm just... What it boils down to me is I'm not 100% sold on Utah as um, being better than my number one team in terms of uh, schedule and overall athletes. And so that brings us to who, where do they have to travel in week four? Ah, the Coliseum in Los Angeles, California, which is where I have my number one team out of the South. I am going to go against the grain, which Twitter is going to blast me for it. But I am going to pick the USC Trojans to win the South, Bip. Oh, barf. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> hear me out on this. And yep, I've got yep. two words, and it's very similar to why I'm high on Florida State, and that is Graham Harrell. Okay, So he's the West Coast version of Kendall Bryles, in my opinion, in terms of bringing marked improvement to his offense. The last three years at North Texas, they have had one of the top 10 offenses in the country, and they do it not just throwing the ball, but they also do a good job of running the ball. They do a good job of getting their tight ends involved that you don't have to have a stellar offensive line, which USC does not have. Um, So I've been taking a little bit of heat with this pick because everybody equates USC with Clay Helton, but Helton did a great thing for himself in bringing in a very good offensive coordinator. So let's look at what he has to work with. 79% of last year's production returning. He's got, in my opinion, the best set of receivers in the country. Now that's better than Alabama. That's better than Clemson. I think top to bottom, With this style of offense, you're going to see a lot of production out of guys like um, Tyler Vaughn's, Michael Pittman Jr., Amon Ross, St. Brown. And then it goes on, you know, bringing in freshman Kyle Ford, Devin Williams also on the outside. So I think when you look at the top eight receivers, I'm not saying that they are better man for man than Alabama's group or than Clemson's group, but I think that they stretch deeper 
And and in this style of offense, we're going to see that as as a great luxury for them. So uh, they were somewhat explosive in offense last year, 57th in offensive yards per play. I think that's going to vastly improve this year. Running back should see improvement this year because of the offense and because of the talent that they do have there. I like uh, Vavaye Malapai and Stephen Carr, two guys who um, can get it going. Marquis Step is another good one. He he saw a little bit of time last year, but was able to redshirt. Six foot, two hundred and thirty pounds. He brings a little bit a little bit of boom to that backfield. And then Keenan Kristen, who is a, uh, a somewhat diminutive incoming freshman, set the state of California record for the hundred meter uh, run, I think, and when you are breaking that record in in California, that's pretty damn good because they've got some speed out there. So yeah. I think USC's offense is going to be much better. Oh, by the way, they had last year's, uh, you know, one of the most highly coveted quarterbacks in JT Daniels. I wasn't sold on Daniels last year, but I think part of that was due to the offensive system and his coaching. I think that Graham Harrell is going to do a much, much better job. He essentially is the reincarnate of Mike Leach. He played under Leach out at Texas Tech. So that brings us to defense. What's the defense going to look like? Well, they were average last year, but it looks like there's going to be good things to come. And it all starts up front at defensive line. They were 43rd in sacks last year, 32nd in tackles for loss. And when you look across the line, Christian Rector, Marlon Tui-Pelotu, Jay Tufele, oh, and they have Drake Jackson coming in at defensive end this year who looks like a man among boys. Those four are looking to be the the front four on that defensive line. And you know it's USC. They're ninth in recruiting in the last four years. So they've got the athletes to back them up as well. They were 40th in defensive yards per play given up and 54th in red zone defense. So again, a respectable defense. I think their defense under Clancy Pendergast is going to get better this year because I think that they're going to have a little bit more experience. I think you know the Notre Dame game was a great example of this whole team kind of maturing and coming to age last year in a game where they almost gave the Irish the upset that they, they, they couldn't afford. I think the back seven may be a bit underrated heading into 2019 and they go deep with young talent, unproven talent, but you have to assume with all those stars next to those names, there has to be at least four or five guys who are going to separate from the, you know, from the crop and, and emerge as guys who are going to get it done and keep an eye out for their linebackers. Pelea, Goteote, and then John Houston may be two of the more underrated linebacker duo combination in the country, let alone the Pac-10. Um, they have to get better in discipline. They were so, there were so many penalties last year. They were 124th in the country in penalties committed. That has to get cleaned up. But you look at their schedule, Bip. Um, I do have them beating Utah in if this game was played in November, I would go with the Utes, even if it was played in the Coliseum. But I think that they get Utah at the right time at home. You know, they're, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, they might trip up against, um, you know, Fresno State at home. I don't think so. I think that they catch Stanford in the conference opener in week two at the right time. Stanford probably going to beat Northwestern in week one, but I'm not sold on Stanford being better than USC right now. Then they have to go out to Provo to play BYU. People are saying they might stumble there. I don't see it. Then they play Utah um, on a shortened week as well. So that's going to be a Friday night game, I believe, at home in the Coliseum. USC just seems to play right around that time. And, um, you know, so long story short, I think that Graham Harrell is going to do enough to save Clay Helton his job. And it may not make USC fans happy in the long run, but short term, you can't be disappointed with a 10-win season and a berth in the Pac-12 championship. So I see him going 10-2 regular season. Uh, eight or seven and two. Or I'm sorry, um, eight and two in the uh, in the conference or eight and one in the conference. I'm sorry. 
Yep, and I see USC um, just a little bit less than than what you do. I have them coming in third in the South, and mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. I think Graham Harrell was a, a home run hire for them in the offense. I think he's just as good as Cliff Kingsbury could have been uh, had he not gone to the NFL. And I think he fits exactly what JT Daniels' strength is, which is getting the ball out of his hands quickly. As you meant, as you mentioned, it, that was evidence against uh, Notre Dame last year, which was his best game of the season. He was really inconsistent last year, and while he had 59.5% of his passes completed for 2,600 yards as a true freshman, he only had a 14-10 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio, and he did all that with a top-five group of receivers to throw to last year. I'm with you. I love this group of receivers. I have them as my number three group of receivers behind Alabama and Clemson, respectively. But Mm -hmm. there's uh, so much talent and so much diversity in regards to the skill set of those receivers. Um, I don't like his offensive line this year. Last year, they finished 67th in sacks allowed and 107th in rushing offense. And they only returned two starters from that line. So both of those could see a dip. Uh, this and again, year? that's where that's to cut you off, but that's where I think that this Harrell offense is going to make up for a deficiency in that offensive line, similar to Florida State. You know, when you just have to kind of catch, set, throw, short routes, um, predetermined reads, they they try and make that offense easy for a guy like JT Daniels, who I think is a lot smarter than he looked to be last year. Right. I think that, that might be the uh, the trade off there. Yeah, I'm not sold on their offensive line either, but I think the offensive system could make up for that. Sure. Um, and, and yeah, like you mentioned, um, having those quick throws should help with the the sacks, but I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to run the ball very effectively in the event that the passing game is shut down against the cows of the world or those that have, uh, you know, ab- above average to, to very good secondaries defensively. Mm-hmm. I really like their defensive line. I think they could have three guys make uh, all, all pack 12 teams. Christian Rector, nine tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, four and a half uh, sacks last year. I really love uh, Yote Ote at linebacker, uh, true sophomore who could um, challenge for first team all pack 12 uh, honors this year and really make a name for himself. He's just a monster uh, and, and a great athlete as well. John Houston's a leading tackle, uh, leading returning tackler. Secondary is where I have their biggest question defensively. You mentioned that they have a lot of uh, stars attached to the the guys that they have, but uh, they don't have any returning starters, and they have tons of underclassmen in the two deep. Greg Johnson's the most experienced in a group of talented unknowns, um, but you know USC hasn't done a great job of hitting on their highly touted recruits the last several years and um so i i really question as to how good the secondary can be they're talented yes but they're very unproven and the the defense performed a little better than a six win team uh last year but they lose a lot from that defense and could start upwards of eight underclassmen this year so Clay Helton somehow survived last year and returns to 2019. And that's also one of my biggest questions for USC. I I don't think that Helton is good enough to get this young defense to play well enough to stick around for 2020. I think this is an improved team, but not improved enough. I have them going seven and five, five and four in the conference. I have them starting off four and oh, and with you, I have them beating Utah at home, but then I have them going on a little bit of a skid. I have them losing at Washington at Notre Dame. And then after the Notre Dame game, I have them losing at home against Arizona, uh, a little bit of a hangover from that Notre Dame uh, rivalry game. 
and then losing against Oregon and Arizona State to finish third. Again, seven and five overall, five and four in the conference. Yeah, and I forgot to mention, I have their two losses, one in conference being at Washington and Seattle after the Utah win. I think that they're going to be on such a high after that Utah win, starting off 4-0, probably going to be ranked or should be ranked at that point. And then they get knocked back to reality when they play Washington. Um, then they have the bye, and then going to South Bend to play Notre Dame. USC traditionally does not play well in South Bend recently, and uh, you know Notre Dame is, is certainly going to be a force to reckon with this year. Um, I uh, that's that's an interesting call on the Arizona game because well I'll talk about Arizona in just a minute, but um, yeah. And so let me ask you real quick. Last on USC, what's the magic number to where? Or what's the what's the over under on keeping Clay Helton? Do you think it's eight wins, nine wins, or do you think he has to win double digits or he's gone regardless? I, I think with how soft the South is this year, if he doesn't come out with a South title, I think he's gone. I, I, okay. I think that those in Southern Cal will not settle for anything less considering yeah. how talented the receivers are this year, that defensive line. And I think they're just antsy and want to have this uh, you know sort of mediocrity um, out of the way and move on to the next guy. And he's got to beat UCLA. So, um, you know, even if they, even if they get to like nine wins or so, but they can't beat the team cross Mm -hmm. town, uh, that's going to be another dagger for them too. So yeah, especially on his own sword, so to speak. Yeah. Especially (laughs) if UCLA continues to struggle like they did last year. So, um, so my number two team, then uh, I'm going to go with the Arizona State Sun Devils. And a lot of people question the, the hiring of Herm Edwards last year, but he's kind of changed some minds, including myself. And some even have Arizona State as a dark horse pick to win the South. Um, so last year, Edwards had the privilege of inheriting a set of triplets in Manny Wilkins, Eno Benjamin and Nikhil Harry. He loses two of them, but returns perhaps the most important in Eno Benjamin, who ran for 1,600 yards and 16 touchdowns while also catching 35 passes for an additional two touchdowns. He helps run the kind of game plan that Herm wants, which carries over a lot of his NFL philosophy of run the ball, play field position, and don't lose the turnover battle. Arizona State did a great job of those things last year. They were 11th in the country in turnover margin, 4th in average defensive field position, and 2nd in the Pac-12 in rushing. So the field position and the turnover margin could be hard to replicate, especially with a freshman quarterback, and those could regress a little bit. Um, so we'll see how that that works out for the Sun Devils this year. And speaking of said freshman quarterback, Jaden Daniels uh, was announced to be the starter for Arizona State uh, about a week ago or so, and he should bring a level of dynamic ability that exceeds potentially that of Manny Wilkins, although it will be hard to match his uh, decision-making that uh, Wilkins showed his uh, last few years here at Arizona State. Daniels was the quarterback that impressed me the most of all of the high school all-star games as he looked like he was a pass-first quarterback who also had really good athletic ability. I'm really excited to see him play, but if he shows to be mistake-prone or turnover-prone, I kind of wonder what what uh, how short of a leash Coach uh, Herm Edwards will have for him. Um, both Benjamin and Daniels will benefit from the entire left side of that offensive line returning and all five starters on this line this year are seniors. So that line should be one of the strengths of this offense. And despite losing to Keel Harry, they should still be in pretty good shape at receiver. They returned the number two, three and four receivers from last year. Frank Darby showed off his deep threat skills, averaging 20 yards per catch. Brandon Ayuk and Kyle Williams each had over 30 catches and 444 yards. So I think as long as Daniels can 
stay um, away from being turnover prone and can show off that athletic ability as well as his uh, good presence as a as a passer. I think this this offense could continue to improve despite the losses of Wilkins and Harry from last year. Defensively, the strength of the D is definitely at linebacker, where Merlin Robertson will challenge for first-team All-Pac-12 honors. Uh, Darian Butler finished tied uh, sec- tied for second on the team in tackles. He returns. Tyler Johnson started six and had four sacks and eight tackles for loss. So I really like this group of linebackers in the Pac-12. The secondary finished sixth in the Pac-12 in passing uh, defense last year, and they returned the three best from that unit in Chase Lucas, Kobe Williams, and Ashari Crosswell. Those three combined for 22 passes broken up and eight picks last year. My biggest question is the defensive line as it's young, but it has it, it has some depth, but it's definitely going to be young this year. They'll be starting two sophomores, Jermaine Lowell and DJ Davidson. They also bring in transfers from Rice uh, and someone from the JUCO ranks to help with that depth that I mentioned. Shannon Foreman started eight games last year and uh, should be rotating in the line, although probably won't be one of the starters. And one of their top recruits, Stefan Wright, is a defensive end that could push his way into the lineup this year as well. So overall, I think this defense should be solid. Question marks uh, on the line. Um, So that could be something to keep an eye on for Arizona State. I don't have them at a great record. Uh, Utah was my number one team at 10 and 2, 7 and 2 overall. I have Arizona State at 7 and 5, taking second, 5 and 4 in the conference. Um, I have them losing at Michigan State for their lone non-conference loss. And then I have them losing at California in conference, at Utah, at UCLA, and then losing the last game of the season in their rivalry with Arizona to finish the season at 7 and 5 overall, 5 and 4 in the conference. Okay, so to recap in the in the South, you have Utah one, USC two, and or I'm sorry, uh, Arizona State two, USC three. Correct. Correct. Okay, so I'm going to go with the Sun Devils at four, and it was hmm. tough for me to put them there because, like you said, there's a lot to look at this team and say they could be really good, but you're to me, it's it's putting a lot of eggs in Jaden Daniels' basket. Right. So I think offensively, yeah. I'll say it right now. Eno Benjamin is my favorite offensive player in the Pac-12. Um, you know, we'll talk about offensive players of the year later, but I'm going to just come right out with it and say he's my guy. Um, and, you know, I, I like Ayuk and I like Darby as as big play guys. You know, Williams, you mentioned, uh, you know, they were 29th in explosion last year. And like we said, we, they returned Benjamin, Ayuk, Darby, and then the versatile Daniels who can hurt you with his arm and his feet in that order, I think. I think he's a, a much smarter quarterback as a freshman than people are going to give him credit for. And we're going to see exactly how good he can be against Michigan State in week three because yeah. that is one of the best defenses that anybody can play in college football. And he's going on the road to East Lansing with a Spartan team that's really looking to avenge last year's loss in the desert. Kenny Willickus, Joe Bocci, Raekwon Williams, uh, Josiah Scott, they are going to be itching to get to this freshman quarterback, and I think they're going to. I think that Jaden Daniels is going to take some big lumps in that game, probably get knocked back down to earth after coming off with wins against Kent State and Sacramento yep. State. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see where does he go from that loss at, at, in East Lansing? Is he going to mature and become a much tougher baller in the Pac-12? Or is he going to revert back to the fetal stage of infancy and say, well, maybe I'm not ready for you know college football just yet, and I'm going to try and be a little bit more uh, passive and conservative and play not to make mistakes as, a, as opposed to being aggressive. Now, speaking of that, 
Arizona State lost the ball only 11 times last year, which was fourth in the NCAA. So they were very high in the turnover margin, Bip, which probably means they are going to... Oh, yeah. Regress to the mean, my friend, which I touched upon. (laughs) Okay, right. So I just wanted you to reiterate that. So, yeah, um, (laughs) it's... uh, I'm not saying it's a given that they're going to do that, but, you know, again, Herm Edwards... It's out there now that, yeah, he can coach college football now, and so he's not going to sneak up on anybody this year. So offensively, they're better than they were defensively last year, and a lot of people talked about this defense last year and talked about their defense going into 2019, uh, but offensively, you know, they were better, and, yeah, Wilkins and Harry are two big losses, but I think they'll still be okay on that side of the ball. Defensively, 81% of the production returns, and they need to utilize their learning experiences with the youth that played last year, and they – they're only 74th in rush defense and 74th in pass efficiency defense, which means, you know, stopping big plays, uh, stopping completions and keeping the ball out of the end zone where they really struggled on defense was in the red zone. They were 94th in stopping teams inside the 20. They've got to get better in that. And if you look at it, playing a three, four style defense does not bode well for many teams when you get inside the 20. So when you play a three, four, you kind of have to roll the dice and say, we're going to beat you outside of the 40 yard line and use our athletes to keep you in and around midfield and force you to punt or force you to go for it when you're too deep for a field goal or too close to punt. But once you get inside the 20, having three down linemen or having to put in a four down front when you're not used to playing it, that sometimes can lead to some of those problems like Arizona State faced last year. Um, So like I said, it's hard to pick against ASU with such a potentially explosive offense, a solid defense, and a favorable schedule. I just don't know that I can trust the true freshman quarterback to be better than Utah's defense and USC's athletes. So I see ASU finishing five and seven, three and six Yikes. in the conference. I, I have them starting out four and one going into their bye week and looking pretty damn good. Then I have them with six, count them six consecutive losses, Bip. Wow. So this is a murderer's row schedule in, in the second half. Washington State at home, who, you know, they. Washington State's going to – they're going to, you know, obviously be in a points race with you, and I just see Mike Leach's group being a little bit better at scoring than ASU will be at that point. Then they go to Utah. They go to UCLA, who actually I have as my number three team, and I'll talk about them in just a minute. Then they go to a bye, and they have to play USC at home at Oregon State, who I think is going to be a tougher out than many people think, home against Oregon. And then I have them winning the Territory Cup against Arizona to finish the year at 5-7. and seven. Uh, but that may not be good enough to make it to a bowl, depending on if there's enough teams that qualify ahead of them. So, yeah, I have them finishing fourth in the South, five and seven, three and six in conference. Hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. I, like you mentioned, I like how that schedule sets up um, for them. They have a decent amount of their their tough games at home. I have them actually winning uh, against Washington State and Oregon at home. Yeah. Um, and I have losses against Arizona and at UCLA, but I could see those two games easily going their way should they get a couple of good bounces. So I have them at seven and five. I wouldn't be surprised if they went nine and three this year. I think that uh, they have the talent and they have the um, the presence to, to go through this Pac-12 South and potentially win nine. But yeah, um, seven wins for me, finishing second. So yeah. you touched upon UCLA there at your number three, Chappie. How about you go into them? Well, so the Bruins, this is another team that I, as as not as high as I am on Herm Edwards just yet. He proved me wrong last year, but I, I'm still kind of thinking that there might be a sophomore slump for Herm 
if mm-hmm. he does it two years in a row, I will be completely sold that he, the guy can coach flat out. I'm the opposite with Chip Kelly. I thought that last year may have been a little bit of an anomaly for him. And I think that he's still a good enough coach and still uh, a, br- a brilliant enough offensive mind that he can take what Jim Mora left him and, and turn it into something good. So I still believe that he can do good things with the talent base that he's got in California and the resources he has in Westwood. I'm just not certain that it's this year in terms of, you know, flirting with a, a Pac-12 South uh, division title. So offensively, 61% production returns. They had bad offensive numbers for a Chick Kelly offense, although they played a lot of young guys. Six starters in offense last year were either freshmen or sophomores. And then I'm not even going into the two deep. They played a, a rather young squad last year. They were kind of like the P.J. Fleck team of the West Coast. And I'm sick of hearing him talk about how damn young he was. Um <laughs> Still seems like DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, might be looking over his shoulder to Austin Burton. So there's a lot who say that, you know, Thompson-Robinson is kind of the the future of this offense. But everything in the spring and even this fall has been saying that redshirt freshman quarterback Austin Burton is somebody that might actually win the job. And, you know, that's kind of saying something because, you know, DTR is a talent in his own right. But if there's another guy, you know, what that tells me is that I don't know that he's as athletically gifted as DTR is, but he's probably a lot smarter in running that offense if he's that close with such a guy who who can you know be a great athlete. They're mediocre at skill positions right now. Receivers, I'm not certain that they have a true home run threat yet, and I'm not sold on their quarterbacks being true passing quarterbacks either, which in this year's Pac-12, I think you're going to need to be that way. I like Joshua Kelly, but he's been bothered and missing camp with a knee injury. In fact, he's um, kind of day-to-day. He's not really cleared for their opener against Cincinnati on a Thursday night yet. So that concerns me a little bit. I think that if they have a healthy Joshua Kelly, then this offense is really going to take off. But without that, um, you know, it, it's a little bit scary. Offensive line, not anything to write home about either. They were 98th in sacks a year ago, 80th in tackles for loss. Uh, new offensive coordinator is last year's offensive line coach, Jerry Fry. So if the offensive line struggled last year, now they're promoting the O-line coach to offensive coordinator. I, I kind of wonder what he's going to be like in his first year in, in that realm. And of course, Chip Kelly's going to have his fingerprint and his pulse on everything that's going on offensively. Uh, but again, I, I guess I'm going into where the, um, you know, what, what history is dictated and Chip Kelly has, done some good things with offenses at a variety of places at New Hampshire, at Oregon in the Pac-12, and then even in the NFL for a time. Defensively, they've got 81% of their production returning. Front seven could be a problem, especially at defensive line. They were not very good at getting in the backfield last year. 119th in sacks, 115th in tackles for loss, 100th in rush defense, 108th in red zone defense, 104th in scoring defense. So you might be wondering, why am I building US or UCLA as the third best team in the Pac-12 South? I get to that in a minute. Uh, secondary is going to be their strength. And, um, you know, they, they do return a lot of starters on that defensive unit, 10 in total. Now, granted, it's kind of that, you know, what do you believe? Are, is it better to have returning starters even if they're bad? Or is it better to be good on defense one year but lose all that production from the year before? So we're going to see whether, you know, it's, it's, it's A or B here. Um, Special teams are going to be pretty good. J.J. Molson is a good place kicker. They get a good punter in transfer, Wade Lease, who was at Maryland the last three years. And then kick returner Darnay Holmes averaged 35.8 yards per run back with a touchdown on only four returns last year. So can he continue that? Now, 
Um, I talked about, you know, why do I think that UCLA is, is going to be third in the South? Well, a couple of factors here. First of all, I think after USC and Utah, the Pac-12 South is not very good. And that includes Arizona State. Like I said, I think Arizona State's going to run into a buzzsaw of their schedule. So really, I have UCLA ahead of them simply because of schematics. Um, you know, I think that they get two wins that, you know, they, they steal a win from somebody that Arizona State is just not able to. And I think UCLA kind of takes care of the games that they're probably expected to win. I have them going 6-6, six and 5-4 six, and four in the conference. So um, I have losses in their opener at Cincinnati. I have them losing to Oklahoma, which, you know, why wouldn't you in week three? <laughs> losing their Pac-12 opener at Wazoo out in the Palouse. Losing at Stanford, losing at Utah, losing at USC. So, again, all those games that I have losses are – they're probably going to be underdogs in anyway. And, um, you know, I think this is kind of a year getting closer for Chip Kelly. And I know that, you know, the people out in UCLA, his buddies that he used to work with – or I'm not – sorry, not UCLA – at ESPN – are kind of projecting and saying, watch out for the Bruins, watch out for how well they can be because they return a lot of production. I think that's more of a, a bone that they're throwing to their their old colleague and friend saying, hey, we, we, got our, we got your back, Chip. I don't see it this year, but I am going to keep my eye on them for 2020 because, like I said, they are still a relatively young team, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of progress they make from year one to year two this year, Bip. Okay. Yeah. So my thoughts on UCLA, you know, obviously Chip Kelly's first season came in with big expectations and was a massive flop. The only saving grace for Kelly was beating Cal and USC and only losing by seven to Stanford. Neither quarterback impressed last year and DTR has obviously a lot to improve this upcoming year. And as you mentioned, he might not even win the starting job or if he does, then he might be in jeopardy of losing it at any you know turn of the corner uh, throughout the season. They lose their top tar- uh, receiving target, Caleb Wilson. Um, they return Theo Howard, who impressed last year and returns um, after catching 50 balls last season outside of him. UCLA has talent at receiver, but a lot of it's uh, really unproven, so I'm not crazy about their group of receivers. Joshua Kelly impressed me last year after running for almost 1,300 yards, and he should once again be the focal point of the offense. But like you mentioned, he's had he's been a little dinged up in the offseason this year, um, but UCLA is really going to need to count on him because I don't see much else on this offense. The offensive line does return four. Uh, and then their top recruit from this year, Sean Ryan, could end up starting as well, making that uh, a formidable starting five, but they didn't really perform all that well last year. Um, so unless there's great improvement by DTR under year two of Chip Kelly, this could be another slow year offensively for the Bruins. And like you touched upon already uh, for a lot of the defense, they returned 10 starters, but they're really lucky that Oregon state is in the conference as well as they took away some of the attention of how bad this unit was last year. The Bruins ranked 11th in the pack 12 and finished in the hundreds nationally in scoring D rushing D and total D and in a theme uh, for most teams in the conference, the only time um, that, UCLA allowed fewer than 26 points was against Cal and they held their in-state rival to only seven points in that game. But again, it's against a bad Cal offense from last year. So um, they lose their top tackler at Darius Pickett, but return 13 of their top 15 tacklers. They struggled to get to the quarterback last year. And I think that that could be a problem for them again this year. Linebacker, they have uh, some good talent and some good depth. Chris Barnes had 85 tackles and 10 tackles for loss last year. Keyshawn Lucier South is finally showing the 
um, ability that he uh, flashed during his high school career. And the secondary uh, returns Darnay Holmes after having 11 passes broken up and three picks last year. They also get Quentin Lake, who returns uh, and was third on the team in tackles and added five passes broken up and two interceptions. But like you said, even though they return a lot, it's the old question of do you return bad talent and call it good or, um, you know, they need to hope for a lot of improvement on both sides of the ball this year. They also have a very tough non-conference schedule at Cincinnati yeah. to start the year home against San Diego state, which is a lot tougher than what most people will think. And then obviously that Oklahoma game, there's not much of a chance for the Bruins. I actually have them finishing fifth in the South going four and eight overall three and six in the wow. conference. I have them beating San Diego state, but losing their other two non-conference games against Cincinnati and Oklahoma. I have them losing at Washington state at Arizona I have them beating Oregon State, Arizona State, and Cal in the conference, but then I also have them losing to, at Stanford versus Colorado at uh, Utah and at USC. And the the thing is, is I could honestly see them losing at Arizona State, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, at home against Arizona State, home against Cal, and that home that home game against Oregon State isn't a gimme for them. So that three and six mark in the conference that I have them at isn't guaranteed. And I wouldn't be shocked if they go through another three win season this year, um, unless Chip Kelly does some massive turnaround for the Bruins. Now, keep in mind one thing to throw out there, and this is kind of what sticks in my head and partly why I, I have some hope for them. They were, they had five games that were one score contests last year. And if the Phil Steele uh, statistic of close games proves true there could be a a marked improvement on on their win total this year so keep in mind as bad as their statistics looked last year they you know five five swing games five one score games uh you're looking at possibly maybe a bowl team last year if a couple games you know go just a right. little bit here or there so something to something to throw out there yeah for sure so who do you so who do you you said you have them fifth who do you have fourth in the Pac-12 South? <laughs> Glad you asked, Chappie. I should I say, have who the, the hell do you have it fourth? <laughs> I have the Arizona Wildcats, and and this is kind of like um, you know choosing whether I, I um, you know between bad and bad. Essentially, I, I have Arizona going five and seven, four and five in the conference. So it's not as if I'm picking a team that's great that uh, is finishing fourth. It's just a matter of. Who, who did I want to put at fifth more, UCLA or, or Arizona? So Kevin Sumlin, uh, similar to Chip Kelly, had some uh, big expectations coming in, especially with Khalil Tate, and he underachieved for sure. Now, the offense wasn't terrible um, as the he finished first in or Arizona finished first in the conference in rushing and uh, total yards and third in scoring. But they scored 10 points per game less uh, in 2018 than 2017. And that was due in large part to a stark drop off in Khalil Tate's production. He had a good 26 to eight touchdown to interception ratio, um, but he started the season off as a Heisman contender. Thanks mainly to his rushing ability. He ran for only 224 yards and averaged only three yards per carry. So I think the Wildcats will need him to be more effective as a runner. And I kept thinking the entire year, what the hell is going on? You bring Kevin Sumlin in, who has had major success with rushing quarterbacks, and Khalil Tate was basically at a standstill the entire season. Um, now, he also has the misfortune of losing his top four receivers, and the Wildcats will be yeah. very thin at that position. But luckily for Sumlin and Tate, they return all Pac-12 running back J.J. Taylor, who ran for over 1,400 yards last year and should, again, be the driving force of that offense. So 
I think if if someone can let Khalil Tate and if Khalil Tate can let himself get out of the pocket more often this year, I think that that offense could go back to being one of the more dangerous ones within the Pac-12. Um, as like I mentioned, the results were there last year, but they really weren't all that effective uh, when it came down to it. The Wildcat defense, though, was what often lost some games last year. They were 10th in the conference in scoring D and total D, and they allowed 28 points to every conference foe. Um, other than a game against Oregon, which was their worst game of the season, and then games against bottom feeders, Oregon State and Cal offensively. Um, even Southern Utah put up 30, 31 points on this D. But I, <laughs> I, I love their linebackers, Colin Schooler and uh, Tony Fields. I think Schooler has All-American written all over him this year. The secondary oh, wow. returns, uh, Lorenzo Burns, who led the team with 11 passes broken up, and Scotty Young, who had three picks. They also get Jace Whitaker back, who missed 2018 with injury. Um, so Arizona had three net close losses last year. I'm going to go have your nod to UCLA, Chappie. Um, and they also had a negative four turnover margin. So I'm going to say that regressed to the mean and uh, say that <laughs> things could bounce their way a little more this year. Um, three of their wins last year were against Oregon State, Cal, and Oregon, which all could be losses this year. And their close yeah. losses against USC and Arizona State could be even mi- wider margins. They also have a tough non-conference schedule as they have to play Texas Tech and they travel to Hawaii. So I have them finishing 5-7 and seven overall, 4-5 and five in the conference with their wins in conference coming home against UCLA at Colorado at USC and then uh, winning a, a shocker. Uh, at the end of the season at Arizona State in the rivalry game to finish fourth in the conference. Okay. I have them fifth in the conference at four and eight, two and seven overall in Pac-12 play. And, you know, my notes here, I say this team scares me to pick for or against. If I were to pick exactly. them higher, I would be like, uh, I, I would not take any <laughs> money on that. But to pick them even as low as fifth really scares me because I can already, I would not be shocked if they you know, finish second or third and all these wildcat fans start tweeting us in November stand. You guys suck. You know, you, how could you pick them so low, you know, uh, bear down baby. And, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him for doing that, but I don't know what we're going to get in Kevin Sumlin overall. I mean, I, I thought that he did a great job at Houston. I thought that he started to do a good job at Texas A&M, but his last year or two in Aggieville were, were not confidence inspiring. His first year at Arizona was not that great, especially how he started off mm-hmm. losing to BYU, losing to uh, to Houston badly um, on national TV. So a lot of this rides on Khalil Tate, like you talked about. So which Khalil Tate are we going to see? I think if we see a balance of 2017 and what he started to become as a as a passing quarterback, and people in Arizona circles say that he and Noel Mazzoni have gotten on the same page and things are looking better, and so we're going to see a better overall quarterback product this year. But, again, I'm going to I'm gonna wait and, and believe it when I see right. it on the field. Good backfield, 30-second rush offense. They bring back their top four rushers. But like you said, nobody to throw to. They lost their top four guys. They're going to be young. Uh, even though their young talent is said to be pretty good on the horizon, it's going to take a year or two to get them cultivated one of the better offensive lines in the conference though 33rd in sacks given up eighth in tackles for loss and they bring back uh nearly everybody and the guys that they have to replace they're replacing with some pretty uh reputable juco guys so um defensively 82 percent of the production returns i do like colin schooler i think to say that he's a an all-american might be going a little too far for me but i you know i I love to play i i could certainly see him pushing for first team all pac 12 honors 
but I think that there's just going to be not enough, especially in front of him, to to help him maybe uh, be as productive as he was last year. Um, and I'm disappointed to hear that he cut the hair, by the way. Yeah, um, right. What are you, what are you doing, Colin? <laughs> uh, secondary is going to be a little bit of an issue for me. They do need to create more turnovers than they did last year. I liked how they were 21st in red zone defense, but that's about it. They were bottom third in most other defensive categories. So for someone in the Wildcats to improve, they're going to need to get better play out of their quarterback, and they're going to need to get much better play out of their defense, more than just their linebackers. They've got to have other people step up for them. And also, they were the third most penalized team in the country. And that's what I think a lot of Arizona critics and Kevin Sumlin critics are pointing to is saying, dude, you got to get this cleaned up. You're playing out in the desert. There's yeah. no reason why these guys should be all over the place. I mean, third worst in penalties, that's got to get better. And, uh, you know, if they can do those things, better quarterback, uh, better defensive play, and play more discipline, then I think that we are going to see uh, possibly an eight or nine win Arizona team if things go their way. So I have their losses coming. Well, I'll tell you their wins. I have only have four of them. So I have them beating <laughs> Northern Arizona, which, uh, you know, shocker on that one. Uh-huh. I have I have them beating new coach Matt Wells in Texas Tech on September 14th. Hmm. I think if that game is played a little bit later, I just I think that there's more established with Arizona than there is with Texas Tech, especially going out to the desert to play. Sure. I think that might be a little bit of an issue at a late night game. Um, I have them beating Colorado on the road, and I have them beating Oregon State at home, but then losing every other game on their schedule, including their opener this Saturday at Hawaii out in, uh, you know, uh, yeah. whatever stadium. That's I, yeah, I have that one, too, because that one, traveling to Hawaii is never never easy for anyone, especially to start the season off, and Hawaii returns a lot from last year's pretty good team. Exactly. So uh, excited for that one, by the way. Um, so let's get to the fighting Chris Fowlers, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes, Biff. We both have them at six in the south. Yep. Uh, you know, just kind of real quickly here, not to besmirch the, uh, the the Buffalo fans, but I think this offense could really surprise people. I like Steven Montez. I like uh, LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon, their new tight ends, and their freshman running back, Jared Mangum, who could be pushing for freshman of the year in the Pac-12. Behind him, they're not very deep, so I think Mangum will need to be the horse. I mean, Mel Tucker comes over as their new coach. He comes from Alabama, or I'm sorry, he comes from uh, Georgia. Uh, So he's going to, he says that they're going to be SEC tough, and that's going to start on their offensive line, but their offensive line has to be better for any of this to happen. They were 107th in sacks allowed last year, 128th in tackles for loss allowed, 100th in rush offense. So even though they've got some of that firepower on the outside, People are going to figure out a way to, to neutralize Montez and Chenault and Nixon, and they're going to have to be able to run the football, and they're going to have to protect Montez in that passing game. So this offensive line is going to need to get better. Defensively, I think that's going to be an Achilles heel, even though this is Tucker's specialty. It's going to take him some time to get this defense up and running to look similar to an SEC-style defense, and I don't mean a Bama or uh, Mississippi State. I mean even like a Vanderbilt defense or mm-hmm. – um, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a Kentucky uh, style defense, right? They were poor in the back seven and even the front lines, not that great, except for Mustafa Johnson. I really like their middle linebacker, Nate Landman. I think that he could push for first team all pack 12 honors. Um, so they're pretty good at getting behind the line of scrimmage. 43rd in sacks last year, 48th in tackles for loss, 40th in the country in limiting big plays and 44th in rush defense. So the defense last year was okay. Uh, but they lost seven of those starters. They only bring back four guys. Fortunately, it's somebody up the middle, somebody at middle linebacker, and then 
um, one of their corners. I think uh, losing Ronnie Blackman is a big loss, not just on defense, but also on special teams as a kick returner, punt returner. So I have the Buffaloes coming in at 2-10, and 1-8 and eight in the inaugural season under Mel Tucker. I have their two wins coming against Colorado State in the opener. I'm just uh, – I don't know that Mike Bobo and his Rams will be ready to go just yet in that opener. Colorado seems to do pretty well there. Uh, and then I have him knocking off Stanford in a bit of an upset before the bye week. Uh, I think that, that that's a point in the season where Stanford is is going to run into a little bit of fatigue and mm-hmm. – you know, the game out in Boulder, I think that, you know, depending on the time of the game, it just could be one of those that the Buffaloes get kind of their first signature win under Mel Tucker, uh, important victory for him. But yeah, two and 10, one and eight in the Pac-12. Yep. And I like this offense's potential a lot, but we really need to know which Steven Montez are we going to get as he completed 64% of his passes for 2,800 yards, uh, but his play really dipped in their seven losses after they started off 5-0. and uh, They lose McMillan and really have no one behind him at running back. Uh, actually, only 11 carries coming back. I do like the potential of Jaron Mangum, like you mentioned, but it's tough to trust a true freshman that much. Uh, so their rushing offense could be even worse than year than it was last year, and that finished in the hundreds. Uh, the offensive line returns three plus they get a transfer from Oklahoma State, who had some starts last year. So they could uh, open up some lanes, but who are they going to have run behind them? Uh, Katie Nixon, uh, LaVisca Chenault, they they give Montez a couple of great options to throw to. We'll see what kind of Chenault we get as he looked like a Heisman hopeful after the first five games gets hurt. Didn't record a touchdown in the four games he played in following his return from injury. But he is one of the the more um, uh, one of one of the toughest guys to stop in the entire country when he's healthy. Defensively, there's not a whole lot uh, outside of Mustafa Johnson and Nate Landman, um, and that that defensive line it it worries me. Outside of Johnson, uh, as it should be extremely inexperienced and untested. The secondary returns five that started last year, but. Delrick Abrams is the only one who started more than half of the game. So the front and back end of this defense might struggle. I have Colorado finishing three and nine. So just one more game better than you, but also one and eight in the conference. I have them winning Colorado state, uh, their opener also beating air force uh, two games later. And then I have them knocking off UCLA at UCLA um, for their lone conference win. So again, three and nine overall one and eight in the conference. All right, so just to recap, um, Chappie's Pac-12 South in order from one to six. I have USC followed by Utah, UCLA, and then my probably non-bowl teams, Arizona State at four, Arizona at five, Colorado at six. Bip, who do you have one through six in the South? I have Utah at one, 10 and two overall, seven and two in the conference, Arizona State two, seven and five, five and four in the conference. USC three, also seven and five, five and four, but having Arizona State beat the Trojans head to head this year. Arizona finishing fourth at five and seven, four and five in the conference. UCLA finishing fifth at four and eight, three and six in the conference. And Colorado rounding out the South, three and nine overall, one and eight in the conference. All right, so that was our Pac-12 South preview on our next podcast, which should be released very shortly. And if you're listening to this late, number one, shame on you. But number two, it's probably already uploaded. You can take a look at it and see what we have for the North. So, again, stay tuned on our next one, Pac-12 North, preview on a bowl full of chips. See ya.
Yeah.